Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Standing in for Shohei Otani during Picture Day, I'm Jake Nitz, that's Jordan Schusterman. Neither of us are 6'4 and broad-shouldered, but together we are. Yeah, just uh, one of us can get on the other's shoulders, maybe throw on a trench coat and an Angels hat and pretend we're the greatest baseball player on earth. It's that simple. It's that simple. Call us Vincent Adult Man Otani. We will, of course, be discussing and bantering about the Angels' very bizarre picture day. The latest on the Otani saga, Anthony Rendon avoiding the limelight and lying at every single chance he gets. But it's but not, not just the Angels. Pi- not avoiding picture day, though. Uh, they, they, they managed to get Rendon <laughs> in there, which is really something. But yes, the Angels still manage to lead off this show despite the AL West being as wild as it is. We're going to talk about the AL West and how the Astros might just end up running away with it. Give you our bird's eye view of both wildcard pictures, what we want to see, what we think we will see, and then we'll bounce around the league in the second half. Giancarlo got to 400 home runs. Jason Dominguez is an undefeated Major League Baseball player. Mm. Paul Skeens ruined Jake's plans. And yes, at the end of the show, we are, of course, going to talk about Deion Sanders, which I believe is a legal requirement for all, all any and all sports podcasts on this here Wednesday. But, but before Jake, we continue, yes. Jordan, two things, two things. Number mm-hmm. one, make sure you subscribe to the show. If you don't already, it helps the podcast continue to grow. Yes, I was going to say we should. I guess we haven't like spoken live here in a little while. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the mailbag episode that we recorded before the weekend. Uh, Jake and I spent the weekend at a, a wedding of, of one of our, as we, as we mentioned on the last pod, longest tenured friends. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to Emily and Matt. It was very, very fun. There's also some actually some angels related uh, wedding uh, happenings that maybe we can get to at some point. Uh, we can talk about that. Uh, but it was a great time. But I'm happy to be back. There was a lot of baseball going on. I am actually currently in Cincinnati. As I record this, I was at the uh, Mariners worst loss of the year last night, or at least one of them. Uh, against the Reds. Reds through another 10th walk-off victory. I feel like I've been at seven of them. It's been obviously a wild uh, season in Cincinnati. So I'll talk a little bit about that. But yeah, there's there's a lot to get to, Jake. And if you're curious, why did Jake and Jordan sound like they're still hungover from the wedding? That's because our voices are absolutely scorched. 
We apologize in advance. Uh, but <laughs> yes. the wedding which we went to was a very good time and no one stood in for us, Jordan, because we no. were there in person and we were available, which was not the case with Shohei Otani on picture day on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> Let's actually rewind a couple days before that because... You know, the Angels announced, oh, okay, Shohei has a tear. Then they go on this road trip. Otani goes on the road trip. He's hitting pretty much the whole time, not talking to the media. I mean, I don't think he has spoken to the media directly in a, in a, in a very long time. And they finally return home. And Nesbolello, Otani's agent, decides to kind of hold, hold court, I guess, before the game on Monday, I believe. Before the game on Monday. Uh, a game which Otani was scratched with an oblique issue, which he which popped up during batting practice, where he kind of took an awkward swing and was not feeling great there. So there's another thing. But Otani, no, we're not putting him on the IL. And so Nesbolello comes comes out, and and the whole transcript for his uh, discussion with the Anaheim media, and of course a large group of, of Japanese media contingent there, is really comes across as like I I mean, what were your biggest takeaways from this? Because there are a lot of words were said. But very little was actually learned. So I want to pull up before we get to the stand-in. Let's talk about the actual news that precluded or that preceded the stand-in because this is we've talked about how there's really not much to say about Shohei until someone actually comes out from his side and says this is what's happening. This is the most we've gotten from that. So I feel like we should acknowledge what has happened here. So because Otani very rarely speaks now, Nez Balello, his representation is. Essentially, Otani. He is speaking for Otani and for Otani's interests. So when Nezbalelo opens his mouth, it is the closest we are getting to Shohei right now. That's an important yeah. thing to understand. Mm -hmm. What's frustrating and, I guess, detached from reality about what Nezbalelo said is that he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. Ideally, okay, over the winter, there would be some sort of magical surgical procedure or pixie dust or ancient medical remedy that they could rub on Otani's arm and he would be able to pitch on opening day and he would be ready to hit on opening day. That most likely does not exist. So when Nezbalelo Nez says, what? My client, Shohei Otani, have you heard of him? Pretty cool. He will be ready to DH on opening day from the jump for whomever he signs with. When and the two, bell rings was the, the, bell was rings. the phrasing, which is, I, I mean, everyone interpreted that as opening day. And I think I agree. Yeah. But, you know, they, they're going to start this next year. The, the giant bell for the opening day bell. <laughs> so everyone interpreted that as he will be ready to hit. But, but that is really the, the most interesting thing that he said is the is, yes, he said Otani is committed to coming back and playing both ways. I know there was some question just because we were all bored and wanted to say like, oh man, maybe Otani will decide. No, like I that did not surprise me and I would not expect uh, right. Nez to say anything different here. But to say that he will be back to hit as soon as possible next season, if not opening day, that tells us something about where they believe they're headed in terms of the procedure. Right, but you, that is one fact. And the other fact is that Nez Bellello said Otani will have some sort of procedure. Yes. There really does not exist a procedure that would allow him to be ready to hit so quickly. Well, in theory, if he's going the Bryce Harper route, if he gets it right now, then I get and and literally does exactly what Bryce Harper does, 
which is hard to fathom considering he will also be having to worry about actually rehabbing as a pitcher <laughs> versus Bryce Harper, who was just like, how can I get back and then DH and play first base? I mean, if that's the plan, great. It's a great plan, I guess. It's the that to me is the is the best possible outcome, right? We get as much Otani as possible. Now, I would like to say something, Jordan. I'm going to be a bit of a bummer. Okay. I mean, this is a bummer, so it's fine. The decline, the inevitable decline of the human body, is undefeated. Yeah. The human body has never lost. At one point or another, we all become dust, and before then, our bones ache. And our joints hurt. And our muscles do not recover as quick as they used to. Shohei Otani is still relatively in his youth. And so I have yeah. less concern than I would if Adam Wainwright had to get Tommy John surgery. But there's a limit somewhere to what this person can physically be. It exists. We have seen it already considering what has happened to him. And so what I am concerned about is like... What is the? I'm I'm struggling to finish my thought. To be honest with you, like, <laughs> well, well, yeah. Maybe I was you gonna understand say, where I'm going with it. Like, I just worry. Like, why would why would we doubt this guy? Obviously, yes, I understand that. But I worry that we're saying like, oh, he can do this thing, this thing, that thing, this thing, and save the world and end nuclear war and whatever. Where again, he is still just a man. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, this is kind of what we're left stuck to do because this is kind of by him doing this over the last three years and succeeding and playing through all these things and being able to be this good both ways. Like we have one, don't have any reason to doubt him and two, have so little information about how all this actually is working behind the scenes and what his actual injury is that we have... We don't even anything have anything to go on, let alone no precedent for somebody trying to rehab this and trying to do... So like we're obviously consistently every day in uncharted waters when it comes to Shohei Otani. Now, the other piece of information that he said before we get to the fun stuff about how he doesn't show up to photo day uh, is that, and I'm curious the degree to which this made you feel better or worse. <laughs> this, this part. All right, I'm going to read directly from the transcript. Because a lot of the discussion, sorry, before I quote this, a lot of discussion was like, oh my God, he already had Tommy John. Like, this is terrible. A second one would be devastating, right? Okay, so basically, Nezbolello goes on about this whole thing about how it is completely different than last time, okay? And so he says, quote, and so the ligament itself, because there's been some false reporting out there, the ligament itself that Shohei had, the graft that he was put in with the native ligament back in 2018 is altogether all intact. So he's saying, based on the imaging that happened last time, all is well. Continue to quote, no problem. Everything looks good. That's a real positive takeaway from this. And then this is my favorite quote of the whole transcript. Again, I'm trying to create as much of a positive narrative as I can. <laughs> no, yeah, we know that. <laughs> because I want you to understand, and this is actually interesting, quote, because I want you to understand when a doctor looked at this, multiple doctors looked at this and said, this is the best scenario for the situation that we're in. You take that and run with it. And then he goes on to say, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. He feels great. He feels great. Make sure you tell everyone that he feels great. All is well. Spirits are high. This is fantastic. That, that nugget there saying doctors say this is the best case scenario for a tear, which we've all acknowledged, is at least a modicum of information. The best case right. scenario when I fall down a flight of stairs is that I only get a bruise on my knee. Right. 
It's like you still fell downstairs. Uh, okay. Point is, is Otani, and again, he goes on to later say like, because they ask him, hey, Perry, is Shohei ever going to speak to the media? And he's like, no, there's no need for him to do that. I got this. <laughs> they literally says, quote, there's really no need for him to address the media. I'm addressing this for him on behalf of all of us. So fire away on any of your questions. It's like, okay, great. So with that said, that is a good uh, prelude to what happened yesterday, which is that is Angels Picture Day. And Picture Day is an interesting thing that always happens in the second half of baseball seasons. It usually happens in, I feel like it usually happens in August, but I've seen it in September. It feels like teams want to have, you know, good teams maybe want to have a team that is representative of what's going to go to the postseason, whatever. The Angels are a hilarious example of this for so many reasons of when do you take the picture? <laughs> because this season in Angels history is obviously one of the great catastrophes in 21st century North American sports. At the same time, you would like to acknowledge that Shohei Otani was on your team, even if it was a disaster. And it's very embarrassing. Uh, and so for Otani to not show up, which... Who knows? Maybe he was seeking his third, fourth, fifth, fiftieth opinion on his tear in his elbow. I'm sure he was. The, but I think the is, I think the yeah. subway was delayed. Is what happened? Oh, for sure to get to yeah. to get to Anaheim. Yeah, and this is just one of the one of the funniest things ever. And so it's on the one hand, it's like okay, Otani doesn't show up. Okay, that's already would be weird on its own thing. Okay, he can't show up for picture day. All right, that's weird. Fine, but then the Angels were like, well, we have to have Otani there. And they decided, what is the best way to handle this? Let's have someone, just a random dude, stand there in the back row with a 17 Angels jersey and smile. And we will Photoshop it in later. Here's my question, Jake Mintz. Why yeah. don't you just Photoshop it in without having a body double? If that you're going to go to the lengths of Photoshopping, I feel like you probably can do this without the incredibly embarrassing situation of this but also i'm glad they did this because it's way funnier i'm like a high a double a photoshop level guy mm -hmm. and so take that with a grain of salt i would imagine it's easier to put otani in to the photo when there's something that's already there so that the lighting looks right and the shadows are right mm -hmm. but someone on photoshop will almost certainly need to widen the shoulders and heighten the trap muscles of whomever was standing in for Otani. Yes. Now, photo day, to be fair, is a very wide, there's a lot of people in it. So, like, he can blend in this person who we are still waiting to be identified. There was a close-up shot of him, I believe, from one of the Japanese uh, media companies that is, you know, circulating and, and, and certainly hilarious. Let's just speculate about how the hell this happened, Jake. Um, not about why Otani wasn't there, but who do you think this is? And how do you think this decision was made? How close, like, they must have known a few hours at least, like when the day began, when they when everyone arrives at Angel Stadium that day, they have, I, I hope, but maybe not, that so they know Shohei will not be here today. Here's how it goes. PR huddles and decides pretty quickly that Otani needs to be in the photo in some form. That is a non-negotiable. Okay. Yes. They at the same time cannot push picture day back. I would imagine because everything's oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, booked no, no, no. and yeah. 
they probably, I would imagine, have a day game today with Baltimore. And so, like, they had to do it yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. And so, at that point, you're left with only bad options, which is very emblematic of the Anaheim Angels yeah. franchise, right? And so, you got to just find random homie and copy okay. and paste him in there. Now, yes. who is this guy? I would imagine that because he was not immediately identified by various members of the Angels world, he is not like a baseball ops or a scout or a coach because the coaches are already in the photo. So my thought is like somebody in the ticket sales department okay, or the tallest usher. Yes. Or the parking security guard. I was my thinking. Along those lines. Who can That's we my pull from the tunnel? Who is standing like you you know, like you're you walk in the tunnel of a major league park, like there's a lot of security and ushers and attendants who are maybe checking you into the visitors' clubhouse or showing you, yeah. you know, scanning your badge to go on the field. Like there's a lot of those guys standing around who, especially at this point in the day, do not have anything else to do, right? They're just sitting in the tunnel, kind of waiting for the day to start. And this is probably, this is at least five, six hours before the game, probably. Actually, maybe not even that much because they weren't going to have them, like they were all had to get in uniform and stuff. So, But either way, the point is, is I think that is the best guess. And this lucky man. And here's the funniest part about this, right, Jake? What's what's your one of your favorite uh, parts of of All Star Week, of uh, All Star Weekend? Oh my God! Is, is the home yeah. run derby practice introduction where they have people stand in for the home run derby participants and announce them when they walk on the field? My exactly. favorite part of this, though, Jordan, is how there must have been a meeting, like in PR, where some Angels employee said. All right, the prompt is who knows someone around the organization who would be good for this? And someone was like, oh, Jim from, you know, ticket oh, sales is big as shit. Yeah. Like, let's Jim's get him. Jim's pretty here. big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is, it is, a, an, and, and I, I sure hope, and I have to imagine that, you know, Sam Blum and other LA media are going to be pursuing this story in the coming days. The other thing about this, and not not to you know speculate too hard, but again, this is what we're left to do, is in terms of the oh maybe we could push picture day back, maybe we could do whatever. Like Shohei's not showing up. I mean, he's shown up for the whole thing the whole time, all the way through, right? And now he has this oblique injury, so now he has this additional thing. Like, are there is a chance that by the end of this week, Shohei's just gone from the Angels forever? Yes. <laughs> like the, there's a version where he's now going to go just so focus on that, and we will not see him at Angel Stadium anymore. I have no, that's not based on any reporting, obviously, but like him just suddenly disappearing on this day after just being there all the time, no matter what, through all of this makes me feel like it's possible we're heading towards that, but we'll see. I hope they Photoshop Reynaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito into the photo as well. <laughs> they might have to. Also, it's like Rendon was there. I mean, if Rendon doesn't show up, and maybe that's just a good quick transition to the other shit that the Angels have been dealing with, is like if Rendon doesn't show up for picture day, Who's complaining? Who's like, we got to have Rendon there. <laughs> like, I, Rendon's not like, I got to be in the picture. It's not like he wanted to be like, make sure I'm included. Like, obviously not. Because Anthony Rendon, as we've kind of checked in on this story over the season, uh, the most recent 
example, um, as you know, uh, Sam Blom was like, hey, what the hell, dude? Uh, what's what's going on? Are you going to play baseball again? Are you are you gonna, are you still hurt? What's going on? And the latest here is uh, that Anthony Rendon uh, basically just said no habla inglés today. Nice, very good Spanish from Anthony. And just left. Well, so they have translators. Like the, there are translators. That's true. That's true. They do have those. Um, at the very least, like, you know, he's just... And this seemed to be... Now, we've had versions of this exact interaction already happen like six times this year. But this was the one that made its rounds where everyone was just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, what the fuck? And like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too. I mean, again, this is something that is weirdly so far down the list of Angels' concerns right now, even though he is <laughs> their second highest paid player. Their highest paid player? Is he making more than Trout? He might be. And that's the thing. It's just, it is disappointing, concerning. I don't know where this goes from here, but so uh, it's it's embarrassing. I really. struggle to fault players who don't want to talk. It happens a lot. I was told yesterday by a player that they did not want to talk to me. It happens. It's hard to be insulted in any specific instance because that's their right. And us media people can be annoying. We're omnipresent and we're trying to do our jobs, obviously. But like, I understand if a player is not interested for one specific time and get a pass once. But like what Rendon is missing here is that his salary is in part paid for by the fans. And when you are given that much money to be a core member of a team and you publicly convey such disinterest to a fan base that is like, on one hand, concerned that you're not going to play again and interested in how you're doing when the media is the conduit to that. And it is less so now than it used to be because guys could just tweet shit out, whatever. But if it's not like Anthony Rendon is tweeting out, oh, here's what's no, up with my No, he's the opposite, right? He, we know right. he's not going to like go out of his way to Correct. give people an update. And so that lack of communication, if I'm an Angels fan, is incredibly insulting and frustrating. When I was told by Anthony Rendon and the Angels front like world that I should give a shit about this guy, that I should invest myself in him, that I should buy a uniform, and then his response is to basically scoff at, the link between player and fan in that way. Here's the other thing that's so insulting. Players have injuries, nagging injuries, just things that kind of stick around for longer than anything all the time. Shit that we don't understand. Whether you want to lie, whether you want to just say the most generic, I'm working on that's it. That's fine. Hopefully we'll be back soon. It's so easy to just say the bare minimum. You don't, it doesn't even have to be the full truth. The, the amount of times that guys who have ser ranging from non-serious to like season ending injuries who will just be like, yep, you know, feel good, working my way back, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's all he needs it, to do. That's literally all you need to know. You, it, 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 that's all that, that anybody is asking for. Because if he had done that six times over the last week, nobody would notice. Nobody would care. Nobody would, like it would be disappointing because he's making thirty-eight million dollars and he's supposed to be good. But it would not be a story. It would just be like, oh well, Anthony Rendon's hurt. Of course, he's he's the hurt guy. Like originally, it was like he's the guy that gets hurt. Oh, that happens. There's a lot of guys like that, right? Like John Carlos Stanton is like that. But people, he owns up to it. He he's very much like frustrated that he's playing that he's not playing whenever he's not playing. Like it's a much more right. like direct version of like i wish i was be able to well, it's the opposite it's, it's frustrating because rendon treats the question like it's somehow outrageous <laughs> right it's like 
they were they're asking for a social security number. It's like home slice. You're a professional baseball player. You're like they're curious how you're how you're feeling physically. Anyway, go Angels. Uh, one more topic before we take a quick break. Let's keep it in L.A. Jordan Julio Urias, farewell, jerkhead, asshole. Uh, Urias news came out earlier this week that the Dodgers starter had been arrested on a suspicion of felony charge of corporal injury on a spouse. This is Urias's second domestic violence related issue that has come to the public. He was suspended back in 2019 for only 20 games, which feels bizarre in retrospect. He was not charged with a crime during that situation, but he did violate the league's domestic abuse or uh, domestic violence policy. Mm -hmm. Urias was given, uh, I guess, just let's just say uh, moving forward, he's probably going to put go on the restricted list uh, in the coming days is very much expected. Doubtful he'll pitch again for the Dodgers this year. He's a free agent at the season's end. Uh, I'm doubtful people, anybody will sign him. Mostly because it's a, he was given a second chance, right? Mm -hmm. And he did not fulfill that opportunity. He embarrassed himself and the organization and our thoughts go out to his, um, his family and to all who were impacted by stories like this. Yeah. And unfortunately we've gone way too familiar with stories of this account, but normally when it comes to second offenders, uh, it's just like, what do you, how, how are we supposed to ever really give these people the benefit of the doubt? And the timing here, uh, you know, that seems like there's going to be some sort of trial later in the month to the point where it's, it just seems very unlikely we're going to see him pitch again. And that's, that's, that's consequences. And I understand the people that believe that he shouldn't have been pitching again in the first place. But um, and to anyone say, oh, well, wait for the trial, wait for the legal outcome. As we've learned with a lot of these other situations, MLB is going to investigate these things and that is going to determine the punishment. It is not always about the official legal outcome. And the most important thing is that the victims here are taken care of and are in a safe place because how it impacts baseball is not that important when this news comes out. But uh, yeah, this is just disappointing and upsetting for all the obvious reasons. And we probably will not be talking about him again. Really yeah. Ever. And like when a story like this comes out, Jordan, I mean, there, there's there are a lot of layers to it. And I'm not saying this is the most important thing. But my mind goes to like women who are baseball fans, who are Dodgers fans, who are being asked to care about someone like this. Where every time one of these stories comes out, it's like, this is not a welcoming space for that type of fan, right? Mm -hmm. And that, again, is like nowhere near the most important aspect of this story, Mm -hmm. but is a great reminder for when people talk about why they don't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and why baseball is not, does not always feel like it's for them. These are the types of stories that, that really hammer that home so let's take a quick break and when we come back we will talk about the american league and nl wild card picture from a bird's eye view this is former pga tour winner smiley kaufman host of the smiley show a serious xm podcast you want to know what i love about golf i get to talk to some really cool people 
I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, the term bird's eye view is confusing because birds are not always up in the sky. I have seen birds on the ground. I have seen birds at eye level, my eye level. And I have seen birds arguably too high to have well, I was gonna say, a clear picture. Yeah, that's the thing. Sometimes birds are way up there and they, they have a worse view. I would not want that view. So Do you want a penguin's view? Cliche, Do you want a penguin eye view, Jordan? You whatever. Yeah, I'm trying, we'll, we'll have to figure out the exact uh, you know height of the view that we are really looking to attain here and achieve. But... We are looking now at, at two as we enter down the final. We got, you know, four weeks to go, basically, little, you know, four and a half weeks to go. These two wild card uh, races are looking very, very, very interesting in very different ways because in the American League, you essentially have a division race and a wild card race on top of each other. And then in the National League, you have five very average teams trying to chase down the Cubs. And the Phillies, or four, I guess. Eh, Padres, who knows? Uh, where would you like to begin? Which, which I think we should start in the. American I would like League. to begin. I would yeah. like to begin, Jordan, by admonishing you for bringing up the Padres in this conversation. We have agreed. <laughs> I thought we agreed as a community, as a nation, that until the San Diego Dad figures won four games in a row, we would not consider them legitimate contenders. They have still yet to win four games in a row. Yep. They cannot connect four. Yep. No, I agree. You're right. That was just me accidentally saying five teams. And I was like, who's who's still right there? The the Padres. No, I believe in the Mets more than the Padres. Yeah, I said it. Okay, that's the last time we're going to talk about those two teams today. Uh, let's talk. Let's start in the AL. Last night was quite the evening in the American League West, as I imagine many evenings this month will be in this division. You had the Astros absolutely whooping on the Rangers in Globe Life Field for the second night in a row. Jose Altuve, three homers in three innings. Austin Hedges having to pitch on back-to-back nights. That's exactly why they brought him in at the deadline, apparently. Best reliever. Relief help. Best yeah, reliever addition to the Rangers. He basically has been their, their best reliever. So that was embarrassing. And then in Cincinnati, when I was in the ballpark, the Mariners squandered a three-run three uh, lead uh, given to them, or a four-run lead, I should say, given to them with some more Julio heroics, two homers from Julio, and the bullpen uh, is just starting to get a little tired. And Justin Topo, who's been great, gives up a three-run homer to Nick Martini, who's on the Reds. Did you know that, Jake? I did. Uh, Nick Martini is on the Reds. And then Ellie De La Cruz uh, gets on <laughs> infield single to lead off the ninth. And as in his words after the game, that the game was over. <laughs> like Ellie getting on as a leadoff guy. Uh, in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth or extras is essentially game over. Uh, and that's what happened. So he steals second and he scores immediately. So that was a huge victory for Cincinnati. And now Seattle sits one game behind the Astros. They had a nice little run there in first place for the first time in forever. But now they sit one game behind Houston and Texas sits one game behind them. This is also the American League wildcard discussion as Tampa Bay, who walked off Boston last night, 
They're trying to ch chase down Baltimore, but they are so comfortable in that top ALWC1 spot that we are talking about the other two spots, which it is possible that, you know, we end up with three AOS teams uh, right there. But Toronto is also right there. And so these teams feel like when they are clicking, look like very, very, very good teams. That is Texas, that is Seattle, that is even Toronto, and that is, of course, Houston. And I want to hammer home why this is slightly different than the National League. Seattle, Toronto, and Texas are they are all good, flawed baseball teams, whereas I feel like the National League teams, none of them are good, and they are simply sneaking in to the last spot. And this, to me, is exemplified by Texas has a better record Sorry, an identical record to the Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies, who have the NL wild card one spot comfortably, right? Four and a half up over the last spot. And the Rangers are out of the postseason picture. And so I think all of these teams in the American League, in like a seven game set, right? I would put up against any of the NL wild card teams. Go ahead. Here's another important point here. If you're a National League fan, you're saying, oh, this is bullshit. You know, these teams are actually good. Jordan, no one's a National League fan. No one's a fan of the league, dude. People were at some point, which is funny. This is what is also important to remember. You have to think about the stakes here. You have to think about the expectations coming into the season. And you have to think about what went in to building Houston, Seattle, Toronto, Texas, right? If those teams, based on the, either the seasons they had last year or the offseason additions they made coming into the year or during the year, right? Certainly in the case of Texas, they need to make the postseason. That has to happen. And one of them will not. And it will be a massive disaster for that team. Whereas the National League teams that we're talking about, Cincinnati, Miami, Arizona, San Francisco, if you told us that they were in this spot at the beginning of the season, I'd be like, oh, nice. Okay, cool. And if you said, oh, they're going to miss the playoffs by a game, you'd be like, oh, all right, uh, that's okay. Good it's job. Still, still a good season, right? So it just the stakes feel significantly different for those teams compared to the AL teams, regardless of how good they are. And that's because the Padres and the Mets and the Cardinals being so ass created a void where like some teams needed to fill it. And so Cincinnati, Miami, Arizona, San Francisco all feel like encouraging surprises from the outside, whether or not they make it. Now, Miami is a little bit different because of their trajectory, whereas and the Giants, it's like, just go get some good baseball players, please. Cincinnati and Arizona, especially, like, it feels like the vibe is still very good. Let's just switch back to the AL quickly. Three teams for two spots. What do you want to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. I'm just going to tell everyone quickly what will happen. Houston's going to run away with this thing. There is no reason to think otherwise. If you have watched the Houston Astros juggernaut machine over the last decade, why would I doubt them? Like, what have I ever seen in the world to make me think that Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, and Justin Verlander are not going to put the Houston Astros on their back and win the NL or the AL West? Like, yeah. Why? Like, no. Please, someone email us baseballbarbecast@gmail.com. <laughs> why would I think otherwise? That's that's where I'm at, and you know, we'll see if they can actually gain separation. The other advantage that that Houston has you know they they still have one more series against Seattle but they also have the easiest schedule remaining of these teams by far they still have six more against Kansas City and three more against Oakland 
So that will certainly help as well. And and to your point, like, I mean, it, it would be kind of funny if, you know, we entered this month and we're like, oh my God, we had this three-way race for the AL West. And then by that last stretch, when Seattle plays Texas, Houston, Texas to finish the season, it's does, it isn't even relevant. I would be shocked if they get that far ahead, but also, I mean, I, I certainly picked them to win it. And, you know, when I analyze it for Fox coming into the month and like, it's to your point, why, why would I doubt them? They really are starting to finally actually look like the juggernaut Astros that we have seen. They're, they're still flawed. They, there are still versions of them where I'm like, oh, okay, we'll see. But uh, oh, on the whole, and when you see the issues that Seattle and Texas are having, I still feel so much better about them. How would you like to match these teams up? So this is the other element, is if that happens, if, say, the Astros do run away with it, now we do have a situation where, again, I don't think anyone's going to be trying to lose on purpose this late in the season, but for Seattle and Texas, potentially, or Toronto, you know, the difference between playing Minnesota and playing Tampa Bay is is significant. 11 so games. That five, that five and six is uh, is could end up being, uh, you know, an interesting little decision that they maybe not actually be making on purpose. What do you make of Toronto in this mix? Do you think we will end up with three ALS teams or do you think Toronto uh, is, is the one that, that kind of ends up there? Great question. So. Mm. The Bichette mm-hmm. injury is no boy. Is really bad. He. I watching their offense without him is is and I know they're they're kicking Oakland's ass right now, but I I really am just not like that. He is so 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 important. You would you look at the rest of the lineup like is this not enough star power? Like do they really need Bobuchet? And the answer is yes, yes they do. <laughs> yes they do need Bobuchet. I feel a little bit better about their pitching. I think yeah. Eovaldi coming back off the aisle last night and just tossing up a pumpkin is a big deal and really concerning. Yeah. I know Gossman has slid back a little bit recently, mm-hmm. but when rubber hits road, I trust that guy mm-hmm. to get outs. Mm-hmm. I think the Blue Jays, like Bassett, Barrios, Gossman, Kikuchi, feel good about that. Whereas with Texas, I'm like, what are I we, mean, the, like, the, it's weird because the again Scherzer's the starting rotation, good. the starting rotation here has not been an issue. Like Montgomery's been great, Scherzer's been great, Gray's been solid. Dunning, I, I had the weird long relief. Like I'm with but you. I still Eovaldi, prefer Toronto's the, mix. The yeah. Eovaldi thing is really concerning to me. And mm-hmm. like, do we really think this bullpen in Texas is going to bounce back? I understand there's a level of equilibrium here. But they've just looked so disconnected from reality. Like Chapman they've, is just a catastrophe. They've blown like ten. I don't even. I, I couldn't even fathom that this was true. But they've converted like two out of their last twelve save opportunities. Like it's some absurd. I. I this is a, a bullpen implosion that I feel like even recently. I guess we see this with at least one good team every year. But it is. It is kind of stunning to witness. So. It almost doesn't even matter. And, and that's been the bigger problem is that when the offense is merely good and not the best in the league, it's yeah. just not enough. So I'm going to take Toronto to finish above Seattle. And I'll Ooh, take okay. Seattle to finish above Texas. I think that's what I'll predict. So you, you're seeing Seattle in the six going to Minnesota. Yeah, that, that would make some sense. I, I, I think Toronto is, and we'll see with Bo, but I, I do yeah. think that's important. All of these matchups, potential matchups, are for the real ball watchers because there is nothing sexy 
at all about Tampa, Toronto, Tampa, Texas, Tampa, Seattle. Nothing. Zilch. Minnesota against any of those teams is not like a headline-grabbing sports center leading showdown. It is not. Yeah, Houston against of- Texas would have been, but there really is not like the true goosebump-inducing option here, and that's okay. However, the National League has pre- practically guaranteed that for us as the Phillies and Cubs sit atop the NL wildcard race. The Cubs have made up some ground on Philly. They're just a game and a half back of that first NL wildcard spot, but it goes Philly, and then a game and a half, and then Chicago, and then three games, and then Cincy, and then a half game, Miami, another half game, Arizona, and then the Giants are two games back of Cincinnati for that last spot. So Cubs-Phillies feels like a foregone conclusion at this point. Where that will be remains to be seen. Likely Philadelphia, maybe Chicago. That series is going to be sick. That and one is the is that's like the what tell your friends to watch. That's the one that is going to be amazing. And I would love to see if they can stay close and that home field advantage could flip at the last second would be really, really, really interesting. Uh, so I, I agree that if that does stay, which maybe it is so a little too early to say that for sure. And it is also worth noting the Cubs are only two and a half back of Milwaukee. Uh, that would be really, really, really special. So I, I agree with that. And then, and then as for that third one, you know, I put out a poll yesterday, got over 3000 votes and it was basically split, you know, four ways between Cincinnati, Miami, Arizona, and San Francisco giants on an L five right now. I mean, <laughs> giants at their worst are a t- a real tough watch, I would say. Whereas like with Miami and Cincinnati and Arizona, it's like we really weren't expecting them to even be this close to competence. So you can kind of excuse it. Read so many young players. It's like, well, yeah, half the team's rookies. It's going to happen. And they're also been really injured on the mound. Miami, it's just they've been a very strange team, but they're on a W5. I, I think I lean. I don't know, man. The Reds, it's just like you just can't kill them. I, I'm so concerned about their their pitch, how they're going to make it to the end of the season pitching-wise. But they're kind of finding a second win in terms of the offense. So I think I would lean Miami still over and Arizona over them just from a pitching standpoint. Miami should certainly have the pitching edge, I would say. But I don't know. Their offense is really tough to tough to figure out. The Giants, I don't really want to see in October because their games take forever because they make 80 million changes, which I guess is compelling from a strategic point of view, right? That's true. I guess. Uh, <laughs> the Just looking at toughest schedules down the stretch, right? The Reds have the easiest remaining schedule of all of these teams. Yes. They have one left against the Mariners, three against the Twins, and then they have six against the Cardinals, three against the Tigers, three against the Pirates, Mets, and Guardians. On the flip side of that, Miami has three against Atlanta, two more against the Dodgers in the series, seven against the Brewers, which is very interesting for Miami, three against yes. the Phillies. I mean, if, if, uh, if the Marlins can win some of those games, that could make everything more interesting, right, if the Correct. Cubs keep winning. So now those, Cubs, those games are going to be a lot of fun. The Cubs have a decent shot to catch the Phillies Mostly because the Phillies have seven games left against Atlanta. Mm. No fun. I would no not recommend that. that. I will be there next week in Philadelphia for that showdown. Okay, so you're going to go with Miami. 
And I'm going to take the Giants, man. I, I don't know <laughs> if I want them there, but I'm going to take the Giants uh, for that last spot. I mean, to be clear, obviously I want to see the Reds. I mean, the notion, if you told me last year that next year I'll, I'd have postseason baseball in my backyard is like the craziest thing ever. And I think that just the fan base here has just been so fun to see just be like, oh, shit, yeah. our team's good now. Like that is that has been super fun as far as the team. Yeah, I think them and Miami would both be just really, really, really cool to see in that in that mix. And I guess they would play, you know, Milwaukee. Right. So that's another reason why that maybe yeah. that Marlins Miami series is uh, Marlins uh, Milwaukee series could be so interesting. All right, let's move forward here and wrap the show up with a couple quick hitters. Speaking of quick hitters, <laughs> speaking of slow hitters, Giancarlo Stanton, who has the foot speed of a uh, of a tortoise. Let's just keep it simple. He's slow as shit. Hit his 400th career home run t- last night. Uh, yeah. Tortoise with 80 power. So, you know. Uh when Stan hit his 400th last night, there was a discussion in the Reds press box, just kind of thinking like, what is what is the Stanton legacy going to be? Now, he's not done. He's got a long way to go. But like, what is the thing that we will think about Giancarlo Stanton, you know, at, at, at the at the end of this? And, and just to be clear, he is, what is he, 32 um, and has another, <laughs> he's 33. He's 33 he turns- season. He turns 34 in November, so he's a little bit older than I realized, but he's under contract still through the uh, 2027 season. Um, But as we've seen recently, he certainly has has struggled to stay on the field as well. But when you see him swing like he does last night, he is still truly singularly capable of feats of strength more than any other player in the league that has not if for as much we've seen from Judge, as much we've seen from Otani, we see, oh, now Acuna hits on 121, oh, all these things. No. That is the legacy. This guy has the most power possibly the game has ever seen. Possibly. Okay? He has been so far in his own category, and he has earned that. And as much as frustrating as it has been to watch him move in any other sense, the, feet, the, the way in which he can impact a baseball is still unlike anything else we have seen in this game. When Judge hits a homer and you're at Yankee Stadium, there's a sound in the crowd that's like, I saw what I paid for, right? If that makes sense. That's why you pay for a ticket to go to a Yankee game is to see Aaron Judge. When Stanton hits one, the sound is shock. Not because no one expects him to do it, but because the the visceral experience of a Giancarlo Stanton home run is rattling. It is unlike anything else. The violence, how he's just chopping down a tree and there happens to be a baseball in its place. A thing to watch with Stanton, okay? Jordan, could he be the first member of the 500 home run club to not make the Hall of Fame other than the steroid guys? Yeah, he's certainly trending in that direction, although I wouldn't put it past him that he could be be a Hall of Famer anyway, I think. I think he's going to have such an interesting case because remember, while I am kind of boiling him down to the guy with, you know, crazy juice, like he was one of the best players in the league, you know, for the first, for at least, you know, six or seven years, you know, wins an MVP. He is impacting the game. He was like, even like a pretty good defender, right? 
He was a more complete hitter. And eventually, that that is clearly not been the case the last few seasons. But the fact that he is still able to have these individual moments, these individual swings that are unlike anybody else in the sport, that's going to last. And like as long, I know he's still injured, but the fact that every time he comes back, he still gives us a home runs like this makes me think he's going to keep doing that for another so many years. And if the, if it's not just that the home runs are going to you know keep piling up and maybe he gets to 500, it's the fact that they'll still look like that that I think will kind of help. Yeah. That him separate him. And he's obviously not been that good. He has a 729 OPS. Yeah. In 86 games, he's hit 22 homers. You know, yeah. he's still on an outrageous pace, even when he's not the most productive player. That's what, like a 36, 37 homer pace? Yeah, and he's got, you know, I, and I know he's, you know, he's never played in a World Series, but I mean, the dude's got 11 homers in 27 postseason games, you know, like that's, he's done some crazy shit in October also, and maybe he get, gets a chance to do that again. So, it's 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 been an interesting thing because you know in the weird scenario where he's like there's a world where for some reason the Marlins keep him and he's basically just like a worse version you know of of Trout for the Marlins and he's just there the whole time for some reason occasionally doing amazing things never winning right but instead he ends up on the Yankees on a much bigger stage which brings him a lot more criticism understandably but also shows more people how special he is. And so that I think will kind of complicate and both help and hurt how we viewed him as a player uh, as his career goes on. Because, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to probably have almost the same, you know, he's in his sixth year with the Yankees. He played eight years with the Marlins. He's going to end up probably having more years with the Yankees, assuming he stays remotely somewhat healthy. Will we think of him as a Yankee, think of him as a Marlin? I don't know. But it is kind of two very different stories. Does he go into the Hall of Fame as a Mike or a Giancarlo is the real question. That's the biggest thing, right? What's on the what's on the plaque there? But I, I wouldn't rule out. I maybe maybe it's crazy, but I just think he's so unique and and so and sure you say, oh the home runs, who cares how far they go? Like, okay, honestly, if you're I in, do. In, in, I do. in his case, especially, I do care how far they go. I know they count the same, but I promise you, anybody who has witnessed a John Carl Stanton home run in person, or or you know what I think of? I think of the the wild card game, I think of the ball he hit off the monster that they they threw the relay out at home because of how hard he hit the ball. Like there's just this shit that happens when he puts bat on ball that just doesn't happen with other people. No, I I, I mean I think of the home run off Jamie Moyer where he breaks the scoreboard in Miami. Like, no, I'm just saying because we were yeah, in the yeah. we were in the stadium for the for the other one, so right. I I can just like visualize I'm like what the fuck was that? So, but of course there's, one, a, there's a million Stanton home runs that are just unbelievable. From one Yankee freak to another, Jason Dominguez made his MLB debut uh, over the weekend. He hit a home run in his first game. Giancarlo Stanton was on base for that, I believe. And the shot, the image of Jason Dominguez high-fiving Giancarlo was a very great example of how these two are very different from a physical perspective. Last night, Dominguez made his home debut and gave the E.T. symbol to the crowd. His nickname is the Martian. Yankees fans are loving it. Yanks are back up to 500, which is like whatever. They're still not going to be in it, but they are hot in the youthful exuberance of these young players with Dominguez and Pereira, Peraza. Austin Wells is good for the team, and these guys are going to get a shot to be the core of the group moving forward. Dominguez is a freak, man. He is a physical marvel. He is a linebacker. He is a chonk. He is a fist. He is a big old boy with a ton of juice. Yeah. 
but he's so short. Like when he's standing out there with next to, and I know Judge is going to make everybody look small, but that is, it is just funny to think that like we will be looking at Dominguez and Judge pictures for, you know, the next half decade at least. Right. And he's the same height as Volpe. You know, he's like basically Volpe's height and Volpe looks yeah, short. Yeah, but he's a lot. <laughs> a lot he's thicker. two Volpe's wide and one Volpe tall. <laughs> From one top prospect to another, Paul Skeens, the number one overall pick for the Pirates, is done for the season. It does not appear to be an injury. The Pirates are simply shutting him down to keep his workload low. Now, the reason this is a big old bummer is that tomorrow morning I was scheduled to hop in my 2012 red Toyota Prius, no ads, and drive to Altoona, Pennsylvania, where I would see Paul Skeens, the number one overall pick, Face off against Dylan Cruz, the number one overall pick, and they were teammates. <laughs> they sure were. And that sucks. I'm sorry. But I will say, like, and I don't need to read too much into it. It is a little weird that they even bothered to send him to Altoona in the first place. Like, I had low expectations for Paul Skeen's pitching much in pro ball this year to begin with. And for him to just make a bunch of these short outings. I'm almost surprised he ever left Bradenton. Like, yeah. I don't, I didn't really understand that. I, I, I totally get for the hitters like Cruz. We just saw Wyatt Langford make his double A debut, get the at bats, see the pitches. You know, we're not worried about workload. Like, just get in there and get his match plan. Like, that makes sense for pitchers like him. You know, Rhett Ladder hasn't thrown a pitch. Ty Floyd hasn't thrown a pitch. Uh, Chase Dolander hasn't thrown a pitch. Like, this was at least mildly strange handling of this. To kind of get him out there, get the buzz, and then bring him to double A and then shut him down is, is weird. I mean, whatever. Like, it's the, I'm not mad. I mean, I'm mad for on behalf of you, but at least a little bit weird how they're they're handling there. Not not because I'm worried about an injury. It's just kind of a weird way to, to do it there. But whatever. We will see him in big league camp competing for a job in Bradenton in February and March. One final topic, Jake, because, again, I mentioned at the beginning, we are a sports podcast recording this week, which means we have to talk about the Colorado Buffaloes football program led by former major leaguer Deion Sanders. How does he even know about, I mean, what incredible job by a former baseball player to kind of motivate all these football players. It's a wild story. So here's the thing, man. I hate how much I like Deion Sanders. I hate how much I well, what's yeah, the, I know. Well, why, it's just why? like not my content usually. Like I'm, I don't like football, but there's something about Dion that that I'm like, man, that's great energy. It is incredibly entertaining and compelling. And he he had a great quote that made me laugh recently, where he was talking about team culture, and he was basically like, "Team culture is stupid. Just get good players." <laughs> and I was like. Hell yeah. Like, that's sick. I was like, Dion, you should coach the 2024 San Diego Padres. That's the other thing is like, and again, I've I've only followed this in in a cursory level, but it's like, because Colorado has sucked for so long, there's like this narrative of like, Dion can just motivate anybody to beat anybody. And it's like, they have an entirely new team. (laughs) They literally brought an entirely new team of good players. And that's how you win. You get talent. And he understands that. And that seems to be a good thing. Now, the thing is, college football head coach and Major League Baseball manager are exceptionally different jobs. However, it is hard not to look at a story like this and be like, hmm, let's make this about us. (laughs) It's like if the Royals hired Big Poppy, I think, to be their manager. No, it would have to be. Ooh. mm. 
Real, uh, I, I actually think it'd be, have to be someone. No, wait, dude, it's the fucking Rockies, man. Yeah, it's the Rockies in Colorado, right? Yeah. Like someone who's even needs to have even less, you know, yeah, historical success recently. Yeah, and there oh, are very and, few- and the other thing with the Rockies again, not that I know too much about college football. All the everything when they say is like that's the worst Power Five job, or like that's an impot. You can't win there. So that's that would be the th- that's why it has to be the Rockies. You can't win the there. Rockies. The Rockies are the worst Power Five MLB job. <laughs> right, right. And that's what I'm saying. Like that's what it has to be. It needs to be like, oh, you can't. No shot. Like you can't win yeah. there. Deion's like, watch me. There's no one like Deion Sanders in baseball except for Deion right. Sanders. Amazing that he played baseball. I mean, I'm reading the Ricky Henderson book right now, and Ricky is the most similar. But there's a level of bravado and. You know, braggado- braggadocio and self-confidence in a performative level that Dion has where he's clearly performing for people where it always feel- felt like Ricky was performing for himself. Right. Yes. And I think yes. that's the biggest difference between the two of them. Uh, that's all I got this week, Jordan Schusterman. <laughs> Go Buffs. You can email us. You can email us at baseballbarbecast.gmail.com. Such a fun mailbag episode. I hope we oh. can do that again soon. We left so many still good ones on the table, so keep those coming. We'll make sure. We'll come back. It's, if you sent them weeks ago, we'll, we, we will still consider them for future shows. Um, if you like the show, leave a rating or review wherever you, you acquire your podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Tell your friends about Baseball Barbicast. The postseason's coming up. You know, We go three times a week in the regular season. But it's going to be more than that, probably in the playoffs, and we're we're really excited about that. So make sure you are you're on board joining us for what has been a very fun season and what is sure to be a very fun stretch run. So thank you, Jake, for recording with me today. I will be back at Great American tonight, or at least before the game, to check in on the Mariners and Reds. Chris Tyler, thank you for producing. As always, we appreciate it. You are the best, uh, Jake. Uh, anything else before we say goodbye until Friday? No. All right. I'm going to go stand in for Shohei Otani, and we'll talk to you all very soon. Goodbye. Serious XM Podcasts. <laughs>